Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. I'm sure we've found time during this period of lockdown, those of us anyway who have been locked down and not been still carrying on and work within our country, but those of us who have been in lockdown have been able to spend time maybe clearing out things and tidying things up and working in the garden and doing other useful things. Elizabeth was having a clearance of one of the cupboards that we have where we keep board games. Um, not that I'm a great board game fan, but nonetheless we have them. Elizabeth likes games, Greg likes games, and she uses them for connecting for other things. And she came across a game that really in many ways is pretty historical. It was from the 1960s or maybe early 70s, a game called Risk. Some of you will be aware of it, especially I think more recently. It's become quite popular again. It can be played online. Um, as well as played, obviously, with the board. Um, and indeed, younger folks have actually taken up a, as something of interest. It's a game, and I'll quote to you actually what it says in the official covering of the box, is a strategy game of diplomacy, conflict and conquest. Um, and and it was really born out of the, the power politics and the, the issues of the 1960s. The world is divided into various spheres. You have various tokens and your aim is to be able to basically take over the world, world domination, world conquest. And you take risks in order to do that, make alliances, make strategic moves, and take a gamble in order that you win and that you have power. It's an interesting game. If you want to find out more, don't ask me, ask Elizabeth. But interesting enough, we live in a society where the whole concept of risk is actually nowadays not regarded very well. Phrases like risk management, risk assessment, risk audits and risk avoidance are all built into the language that's used. If you're running any event nowadays, whether it's at school or a church or within the community, or whether it's a business enterprise, a place of employment, then there has to be an assessment as to what might happen. Even in the most unlikely set of circumstances, something might happen that would cause someone to be at risk. And risk is seen as something that's dangerous, something that's going to be harmful, something that's going to cost perhaps the the person who's running the event a lot of money if they're sued, um, and something that's going to cause damage to other people. And damage not just materially, but in terms of reputation. And so risk is seen as something to be avoided. The positive side of that, of course, is health and safety and people are able to work and able to carry out their activities in a safe and secure environment. That's a good thing. The danger of that, of course, is that we don't do anything. Children are prevented from playing outside or are encouraged to to go away out somewhere with their friends because there might be risks of something happening to them. And yet risks of themselves can be things that can teach us much. We learn from taking a risk. We learn not to do it again, or if we do it again, to do it more wisely or in a certain safe way. Um, We need to have, in a sense, a degree of risk in our life. Let's be honest, if we weren't willing to take any risks, we wouldn't get out of our beds in the morning, because from getting up to going to bed, there's risks that anything could happen. And yet we live in a time, particularly now, where risk has emerged once again as a major issue. The whole coming out of lockdown is actually riskier than going into lockdown. And we're hearing plenty about it and how we need to pray for our government and leaders as they have to weigh up different kinds of risks in order that we can proceed. Risk is part and parcel of life. It's how we understand it and how we use it that's important. For Paul, being a Christian was in many ways 
a risky thing. He had risked all for the sake of following Jesus Christ. Can I read to you some verses, well-known verses from Philippians chapter 3? Listen to what Paul says here. He says, whatever gains I had in terms of his background, in terms of his culture, in terms of his language, in terms of his knowledge, he says, whatever gains I had, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may, be, uh, that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Paul had risked everything, his reputation, his standing within the Jewish community, um, all of that and much more, his life, um, in order to be a follower of Jesus and to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And as we've dipped into 2 Corinthians, we've seen a bit about that. Can I read to you now some verses from 2 Corinthians? And I invite you to follow these verses in your own Bibles. From 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're really following on for what we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and reading from verse 3, Paul writes, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance and troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonour, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. One of the issues Paul faced with the church in Corinth was that people were calling into question his validity as an apostle. Basically, they were saying was that if because Paul had these various calamities happening to him, the beatings and the imprisonments and the hard work and the sleepless nights and the hungers and all these various troubles, people were saying, or some people were saying, that because Paul was experiencing all of that, that was a sign of God's displeasure with the apostle. His not a place of blessing, but actually a place of judgment, that God did not regard Paul highly because if he did, he wouldn't have these trials and tribulations. Of course, as we've seen, that whole understanding of Christianity as basically a, a, a safeguard to avoid any kind of trouble, any kind of trial, any kind of risk in life, that is a caricature of Christianity. Supremely, we look at Jesus and his journey to Jerusalem and the way of the cross. And we're called to take up our cross and follow him. We've spoken much about that over these past weeks. And Paul identifying with Christ, taking the risk of, of giving up everything in many ways in order to follow Jesus, he entered into the sufferings of Christ, the things he speaks about, the trials and tribulations they went through. And notice how he's almost quite poetic. Again, sometimes I mean, we don't think that the Apostle Paul was somebody who was moved to poetic language. And yet, as you read his letters and read the way he used language, he actually is very poetic. The, the, the task of following Jesus, 
of, of being convinced that one had died for all, therefore those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again, verse 15 of chapter 5 of Second Corinthians, the fact that he knew the love of Christ compelling him, that moved his spirit. And so he is poetic. Look what he says, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Those paradoxes, poetically put, displayed actually God's blessing on Paul, God's validation of his ministry, God using him as a servant of Jesus, not the opposite. There's always been a temptation within Christianity to, to try and avoid the, the costly way of following Jesus. One of the books that I've looked at over this period and read, I, I, I'm not a great, um, how would you say it, reader of weighty tomes, whatever the books behind me might suggest, um, but I do like to read things that are succinct and put things over. And one of the books I've read over this period is a book called Big God, How to Approach Suffering, Spread the Gospel, Make Decisions, and Pray in the Light of a God Who Really Is in the Driving Seat of the World. Orlando Sea, I'll put into the church library, and once you're back and we're all back together, perhaps you can borrow it from the library. A great book, a small book in many ways, but a great book. And interesting enough, the writer speaks of how people have wanted, in a sense, to take the risk out of the gospel, to make it safe, to make it more palatable, to make it more relevant, to make it more attractive, especially to the Western world of the 20th and 21st century. And he says, here are three ways in which the gospel has been altered in order to take the risk out of it, in order to make it more palatable. So, for instance, the social gospel. This gospel is about transforming social systems in the here and now. Jesus came to bring social and economic equality for all, to rid the world of poverty and oppression. And there are certainly many who profess to be Christians and many within the wider church who ultimately see the gospel as this social gospel, changing the world as it is. And as the writer makes the point, in many ways, that's right. Jesus did come to inaugurate God's kingdom. But it gets the problem wrong, he goes on to say. Our biggest problem is not the effect of other people's sins, but the effect of our own. We have to take the risk of facing up to our own culpability before God, our own responsibility in our world, instead of blaming others or thinking by changing structures that we're going to change the human heart, we have to face up the reality that we need to be changed. We need to take that risk of confronting that and dealing with that. But the social gospel wants to push that aside. Let's change everything else and keep you and me as basically the same. And then there's the prosperity gospel. This gospel is about increasing the material comforts of believers in this world. Jesus came to make possible freedom from sickness and to make me financially better off. And again, gets God's favour right. He is committed to pouring his blessings out on his people but gets the timing wrong. Life this side of glory, the norm for Christians, is as much pain as material blessing. The best is yet to come. He gets the timing wrong. Life this side of glory, the norm for Christians, is as much pain as material blessing. And he goes on to mention other alternative Gospels, the ways in which people try and take the risk out of it in order to make it more palatable to others. Paul would have nothing of it. Paul would not be part of that, neither should we. He delighted in suffering, not as some masochist,
But because he saw that as he was faithful to Jesus, the risks he took in his life and his ministry, the sleepless nights, the hunger, the misunderstandings, all the rest of it, were a cost worth paying for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. And indeed, he says that this is a sign of his ministry being accredited by God. He says, we put no stumbling block in any of his path so that our ministry will not be discredited. His ministry was validated because it was costly, because it involved him stepping out in faith and, yes, seemingly taking risks with his life and with his own security. Risk is part and parcel of following Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we're careless about the risks. Of course, we don't want to encourage people to do things that are going to damage themselves. That's not being wise, nor are we going to learn helpfully from that. We don't encourage our children to stick their fingers into a gas fire or a lighted flame. We don't encourage uh, our businesses to run in such a way that people will be damaged or hurt by the equipment or whatever else. If we do that, then rightly we are responsible and we have to face the consequences of that. There is a wisdom that is necessary alongside taking risks. And Paul goes on to speak about some of the risks that people might take that aren't wise. Let me read to you from verse 14 of the same chapter in Corinthians. He goes on to say, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what have fellowship in common with the light? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. People do take risks with their spiritual well-being. They stick their fingers, in a sense, into fires and face the consequences. Interesting, Paul here speaking about relationships, relationships with colleagues, perhaps at work, or relationships within a family, or relationships with friends, and how these relationships have to be carefully attended to. We must not be, as it says, yoked together with unbelievers. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have non-Christian friends. That doesn't mean that we're supposed to retreat into some sort of holy huddle and cut off the rest of the world. What it does mean is that emotionally and spiritually we should not become intimately yoked, connected, bonded with those who are not believers. And we shouldn't do that because it's damaging for our well-being. It actually undermines the place of security. He quotes from the Old Testament very extensively in this passage. As I say, if you have your own Bible, you will see that. Quoting from the book of Leviticus, quoting from the prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel. And all of these verses he quotes are verses where God affirms his passionate concern and love and attention to his people. Children being brought up, yes, need to be able to test things out. But one of the ways in which children will know whether they should test this out or that out is if they're brought up in a secure and loving and stable environment and they learn from their parents 
what is a wise risk to take and what is an unwise risk to take. That's how our family life is so important. And that's why we want to commend Karen and the work done in Park Kids and Connect as we seek to nurture young Christians in that safe and secure environment where brought up in a spiritual family and in a spiritual home, they can weigh up and make wise decisions about what risks perhaps they should take and stepping out in faith and doing something for Jesus and what risks they shouldn't take, things that will undermine the relationship with Jesus and cause them and indeed others harm. Paul here saying to all believers... We need to be so secure in our relationship with God, know what it is to be safe under the shadow of his wing, to be safe in our fellowship with others, that actually close, intimate, spiritual connections with non-believers in whatever aspect of life it may be, as I say, within family, within friendships, or indeed at work, that these things are looked at very carefully. The consequence of being yoked in that kind of way it's not that we draw others to the Lord, which may well be our desire, but actually we are drawn away from the Lord and into ways of thinking and into taking worldly or material risks that are not for our good and, as I say, will damage not just ourselves, but our witness to Jesus. Can I say as a minister over 30 years now and more that I've seen that indeed as a Christian over a longer time than that, how sad it is when Christians take risks with their relationship with God. They're attracted to someone. They're tempted by an opportunity. They're drawn away by their own desires to engage in this and that and other. Things that perhaps the world might not concern as being particularly wrong, but things which are fundamentally damage, damaging to being safe in the relationship with God and indeed in their relationship with God's people. Here is a Lord who said he would walk among them that he will be our God and we will be his people. Here's a God who tells us to come out from, to be separate, to touch no unclean thing, because only with holy hands can we enter into a holy relationship with a holy God. Here's a God who says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. The great blessing, the surpassing worth, as Paul has said, of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord, of that intimate relationship with God, is not worth being risked for whatever this world and whatever the world's relationships might have to offer. So yes, following Jesus involves us risking everything. But following Jesus means that we have to be wise about the risks we take and weigh them up, born out of that safe and secure relationship that we can have with God in Jesus Christ. But lastly, Paul is someone here who risks being vulnerable to others. Listen to what he says in verse 11. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children. Open wide your hearts also. Here's someone who was very vulnerable in his relationship with the Corinthians for all the reasons and more that I've mentioned. And yet here's somebody who was willing to risk, in a sense, himself by being open to them. We have opened wide our hearts. That is a risk worth taking in a relationship as we seek to be faithful to Jesus. God, in a sense, in Christ risked all as he came amongst us and gave himself for us. 
and as followers of Jesus, not just apostles, not just pastors and teachers and people who hold positions within the church, but we are called, in a sense, to be vulnerable for others, to open up our lives. That doesn't mean we tell everybody everything. That doesn't mean that we traipse about all the time chasing after folk who, frankly, aren't the slightest bit interested. But it does mean that with the wisdom of God that he promises, if we ask with faith, that we use God's wisdom to discern where it does mean that we are open to others, where perhaps we share part of our own journey of faith, the, the negative times or the, the challenging times, let's just say, as well as the good times. Interesting enough, in the beginning of chapter 7 in this section, Paul writes, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Notice what he says, his appeal to these other people, many of whom were getting up to all sorts of things that weren't right and were causing them to risk their relationship with God. But notice his appeal is, we have these promises, let us. He connects with others. He opens himself up. He's willing to be vulnerable. He opens his heart and his plea from his heart is that they would open their lives to him so that together they would grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We are called to take the risk of being vulnerable, not without wisdom, but led and prompted by the Spirit of God. We are to share our lives in love, in humility, and in service. We wield the weapons of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We carry the shield of faith. We have the breastplate of righteousness. There's so much more in these verses that we could look at. We don't have time to do that just now. But we wield these things. We don't go into battle defenseless. We don't take risks unaware or unequipped, but we step out with faith. Surely in these days, when indeed we're coming out of lockdown, but we face many risks, many uncertainties, things that are going to run on, not just for the remainder of this year, but run on into the years ahead, that the church of Jesus Christ, safe and secure in its relationship with God, knowing what it is to be his people, knowing what it is to have a father in heaven and us to be his children, but nonetheless, safe in that, we are able to step out in faith. And yes, risk all for Jesus. My friends, if we're not willing to risk that, then we're never ever going to be able to participate in not the game of a card game or a board game, but in the challenge in the game of the life of following Jesus. Let's risk things ourselves for God. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you that in a sense you did risk everything in sending your Son, the Lord Jesus, into our world. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you took again that risk of calling the disciples, of entering into relationships, knowing that you would be let down by people, that you would have to journey the way of the cross. And yet you did so confident of your calling and of the relationship you had with your Father. And you call us to take up our cross and to follow you. And you call us, in a sense, to risk everything. Like Paul, to lay aside 
many of the things that we might think are so vital to who we are and what we are to lay aside these things for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Getting God-centered priorities, having the mind of Christ. And we do pray, O oh God our Father, that in these challenging days when our own society and the security within our society is at great risk because not just of the virus but all the consequences of it, we pray that we will be people secure in a relationship with God who are therefore then willing to step out in faith. Having nothing and yet having everything. And opening our lives up to others. Sharing our story of Jesus. The good times and the challenging times. An authentic ministry of service to you and to others. Take your word, O God our Father, and by your Spirit apply it into our hearts and minds as we live for you day by day in these days. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.